You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we're talking about A Seat at the Table, Solange Knowles' new album, the crisis that happened to Kim Kardashian while she was in France this weekend, and Ira interviews JoJo in a very special edition of Speed Dial. Leave a message. Doreen, not only is the Solange album everything I've ever wanted in my life, I'm currently scouring eBay for some vintage FUBU outfits. Calm down. Ira, it's literally like you were reading my mind. When I saw, even before I listened to any of the tracks, when I saw that there was one called FUBU, I was like, just the spirit of the 90s took over me. I needed FUBU, I needed academics, I needed it all. Coogee, get it. (laughs) That was the real Cosby sweater. (laughs) Well, I ain't trying to wear no Cosby shit. (laughs) Drugs not included. (laughs) Oh God, that was terrible. Anyway, (laughs) last week, Solange Knowles dropped her third studio album called A Seat at the Table, and I think it blew any expectations, any hopes we had for her out of the water. This album, to me, you know, sometimes the conversation is, was this an album of of the year? I think that A Seat at the Table is the album of the decade. Well, decade is like, that is like, ooh, okay. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I said it. Okay. You know what? Yeah, I, I think it's. It. I think. <laughs> I think it's really, <laughs> really fucking good. Um, to be honest, I'm still like, is it better than Lemonade? And I don't like want to have to compare Solange to Beyonce because at this point, she's completely her own entity. I mean, she's been one since the true EP. To be honest. Um, she's been one since she's, you know, but I also want to say that if this is like a stellar album of 2016, the other stellar album of 2016 happened to be Lemonade. So not even talking about them in terms of being related and who's influencing who they both put out amazing fucking pieces of art this year that stand above everything else that's been released, save for, you know, Anti or Catronata or um, some people like that Frank Ocean album. I've kind of warmed on it. (laughs) I think the point, usually I think it's silly and basically irrelevant when people try to compare Solange and Beyonce because the only reason you're doing that is because they're related, right? They really operate in like lanes that are somewhat similar but they're you know they're different Mm -hmm. for me i'm starting to realize that there can be you can learn something about each of them as artists when you think of them as sisters so instead of comparing them you're just thinking about the way that they grew up the family that they came from their ancestry and Interestingly, Tina Knowles, the way that she's become a public figure in the past year or so, I would say via Instagram, to me is just absolutely revealing a lot of what 
I thought I understood about their sisterhood under the surface, but knowing who their mother is and what she instilled with them, I think it explains so much, so much of what we, you know, maybe didn't really understand before. Absolutely, because at first, all we really knew about Tina, Miss Lawson now, was that she used to make the really tacky outfits that Destiny's Child used to wear. And Beyonce has even said that some of her mom's outfits were wild. Uh, she's even gone on record about not even thinking like dress. her wedding dress was her style. <laughs> uh, so that's primarily what we knew Miss Tina for. But now we've really started to get a sense of who she is, just because Beyonce has been including her in so many of her videos and referencing her in so many of her songs as of late. And now with this album, it was the first time Solange went that route too, you know, having an entire interlude called Mm -hmm. Tina Taught Me, which was that equivalent of Beyonce adhering to her mom on the couch at the end of like the grown woman video. Oh, that's such a nice... Ooh, look at you and your poetic comparison. I know, right? I'm here for um, it. But also, what's been very interesting this year, too, is I know there's been a lot of turmoil with regards to Matthew Knowles and his relationship with his daughters and with Tina. Mm-hmm. You know, Beyonce has the song Ring Off, talking about her mom finally being free of her husband, And obviously she left him as her manager and started handling her own affairs. But I would also say this year, there's been so much revisiting of that relationship now. And I think it's because they're mothers now, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. Daddy Lessons was all about Beyonce's relationship with her dad and what he did teach her and the video for Lemonade shows points, you know, where Matthew Knowles is involved with Blue's upbringing. And now we have Dad Was Mad, where we talk about Matthew Knowles on a seat at the table. And it seems like Solange also is embracing things that her father taught her and sort of recontextualizing that in the present and using it to inform her art. And I think it's just beautiful, you know, seeing where these sisters came from as artists and seeing where they are now. Because when you think about art and when you try and be an artist or a writer, I know you probably felt this way, but you always Mm -hmm. have that, you always have that desire that it has to be right right away it has to be perfect and if you look back they were making very good songs you know but they were also making you know bootylicious or whatever um you know or like solange's (laughs) first album and those are great fucking pop songs but they also have moved completely in a different direction in just sort of how they're engaging with blackness and their roles as women and leaders in this culture. And I think the Knoll sisters are really just teaching black people that it's okay to be yourselves at any given time because they were completely themselves when they were younger. And now we've watched them evolve as artists and women. Right. 
Yeah, so they're teaching us that it's okay to grow and that it's also okay to grow in public. Mm -hmm. And to your point about Matthew Knowles, I thought it was really short-sighted when everyone understood that because the marriage had dissolved between him and Tina, that there was, you know, this like irrevocable strife in the family, that there was no way that they were going to be together again. Families go through trauma and difficulties and pain all the time. That's what a family actually is. And compared to the other culture makers we have who make art about black families, say Tyler Perry, for example, what the Knowles sisters does is so much more nuanced. They give us space to be able to see that, yeah, sometimes shit is fucked up at home, really fucked up. But that doesn't mean that family dissolves completely or that family, the ties between us just evaporate, you know, like Solange has been in very public situations in which it seemed like there was shit going down in her family. But at the end of the day, that's her people. And I love how Matthew Knowles is resurging in their art. Matthew Knowles is the reason why they are where they are. Everybody knows that he was the one who was managing Beyonce's career. And also he was such an example for them in terms of learning how to be business people and learning how to game the music industry so that it doesn't game you. And a seat at the table, I think, is very keen on the importance of ownership you know Solange wrote every song on that album co-produced every song she is everywhere on it when it comes to the visuals she co-directed them with her husband and she is setting an example of what it could be like to make a very individualized art project under a major label it's under Columbia but then still have it be you and just you and I think that's the message that we needed to hear in 2016 and I'm so happy that it came from her that was a beautiful point you made um I just had um a qu- who's this um Tyler Perry person that you mentioned I don't think I've ever heard of him <laughs> but before. you know what I mean right <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> uh yeah no I mean the representation of black men in the media especially by other black men are usually these awful representations and it's nice that it took you know two women to finally give us a heartfelt rendition of sort of masculinity and fatherhood uh the same way that i talked about uh, a moonlight you know it's mm-hmm. it's turning out to be not hyper masculine straight men presenting their narratives that we've seen before it's turning out to be you know stories about women or stories about queer black people that are finally giving us you know shedding some light on black fatherhood and you know being a black man in america i'm really liking the nuances that we've been getting in 2016 with regards to that you know it's not J. Cole talking about wanting to fuck Nia Long. It's um, <laughs> something a bit deeper than that. Yeah, I think it almost feels like all of these artists are actually in conversation with each other. There's, it's like there's a spirit or an energy fomenting under the surface. Um, I love how on 
a seat at the table Solange brings a lot of artists with her Kalela's on it Tweet is on it I mean Tweet is like Tweet has the same name as my sister so I've always felt an affinity with her um, Master, Master P. P his amazing interludes I mean that is so it's so unusual in this way you know to have a rapper who also is a businessman and that's why you're interviewing him but to have him on your album and he's not rapping he's talking he's sermoning and god i usually don't like listening to interludes to be completely honest but i can listen to the the ones on this album over and over again right these interludes are necessary and i actually had a day mm-hmm. yesterday where i was just listening to the interludes and not even the songs <laughs> because First of all, I just really love how Solange has repositioned Master P as a businessman because he's always been a businessman, you know, but the weight with which she takes him seriously and putting him on this album and the things he's talking about, um, I mean, I feel like so many people were shook by that quote that he said before about, you know, when he was offered a million dollars he didn't take it because if someone's offering him a million dollars, that must mean he's worth 10, 40, 50 million. Ooh, when I heard that, I started shaking <laughs> because I think that week I'd had an experience with somebody underselling me. And I was like, oh mm-hmm. my God, you were reading my whole heart, my whole being. Percy Miller, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Listen, let that be a lesson to black people. Get your money. Get your money and make your art with it or make whatever makes you feel good with it. I could not feel more blessed. I've, I feel like I need to thank Solange. This is a gift. And I think it's it's a gift for a particular set of people, right? This for, album is not for everybody. And no. it makes it very clear. Yeah. She said this tells you that she literally says this shit is for us, for us, by us. You weren't rocking FUBU in the 90s. Actually, a lot of people were rocking FUBU in the 90s. But you know what? Let's bring it back. I got to go to eBay now and order me FUBU jacket. Maybe not the ones with Fat Albert on it because Bill Cosby did create that. (laughs) Yeah, that would not be lit. But throw throw a sweater in there for me, too. On Sunday night, Parisian time, Kim Kardashian was in her apartment in Paris when allegedly a number of masked men who were posing as a police stormed into her apartment. They tied her up, they gagged her, and they also put a gun to her head. And these guys got away with over $10 million worth of jewelry. Um, Kim's spokesperson said that she was physically unharmed, but very badly shaken. And then a few hours after she had spoken to the police and given her statement, she got on a private jet and flew back to New York to be with Kanye. And Kanye was um, actually headlining a concert that night in New York. And he stopped at Midway uh, for what he said was a family emergency. And then, you know, pretty much right after we realized what happened. Now that's the story. 
What is even more shocking to me than what happened to Kim Kardashian, one of the most famous women in the world, is that people don't believe her. People think it's a hoax. And by people, I don't even mean just trolls on the internet. It's also fashion editors, a lot of the journalists, a lot of the designers that she works with who think that either she's making up the story for attention or she deserves it because of how public she is. This morning, Karl Lagerfeld actually said something to that effect, that if you have that much money, like you shouldn't flaunt it because, you know, what is implied here is that people will steal from you or hurt you and therefore it's your fault. Can we take a minute to talk about this trash? First of all, Karl Lagerfeld is always saying something crazy about someone and not shutting up and going back to Madame Tussauds where he belongs. Right? Is he even alive? I'm pretty (laughs) sure he is the piano playing skeleton from Disneyland at this point. But Kim flaunting her money... Kim doesn't flaunt her money any more than literally any celebrity ever in the history of ever. Celebrities walk on red carpets with fashion. They walk on it with jewels. He walks around. People know that he has money. Like, does he want to get bound and gagged and held at gunpoint? It's so ironic for the fashion world of all industries to act holier than thou about wealth. They hate them. That's what you them. people traffic in. That's the point. They That's what, they literally yeah, hate it's the Kanye point. and Kim. And what is even more, I think, infuriating for me is that Kim loves them. She loves fashion. She loves these designers. She loves to support them. She's always at the runway shows. They always put her in the front row because she gets a lot of paparazzi and all this stuff. And it's like, I think after she deals with the immediate trauma of this situation, I really do think she's going to be genuinely hurt by how they're all throwing her under the bus. And, but I mean, that's been the theme of this year, though. As much as the Kardashian West's want to be in the fashion world the fashion world doesn't want them that's what happened with kanye and yeezy season like they don't want them yeah and part of it is like you could talk about like whether or not you like kanye's outfits or whatever i think most of them are whack but there's also (laughs) the point that he's just a black man trying to make it in a fashion industry and People come for him in weird ways. They don't come for every white woman celebrity who wants to have a shoe and pants and handbag line. Kim Kardashian is a white woman. I know a lot of people think that she isn't, but I'm going to avoid this conversation. She is white, but she does index as being of color in a lot of ways because of her body shape, because of the fact that she's, you know, more olive skinned. The her husband, she has black kids and her whiteness almost doesn't in a lot of spaces. Obviously, she's incredibly privileged because of her whiteness, but it doesn't all the way scan to the fashion world. And that's why, you know, nobody criticizes Gwyneth Paltrow when she makes a ten thousand dollar clutch that has Tupac's face bejeweled on it. But everybody has something to say because Kim Kardashian had an expensive ring on. If anything, Kim Kardashian should know more about this shit because she started 
as a celebrity stylist. That's very true. She was a stylist. She was Paris Hilton's stylist. And so she was dressing celebrities and then herself started dressing in those clothes that she was putting on other celebrities and started imitating them. And that's part of how she became famous as well. But people always want to forget that. And it's just been so disgusting seeing like the remarks about her or like saying that she deserved it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've personally been held at gunpoint before, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's not funny and it does shake you. And it shakes you no matter who you are. Part of the arguments have been that Kim Kardashian is rich and she's a celebrity, so she can actually replace the material things that were taken from her in a second. Well, that might be true. She's also a person. In general, the way people talk about celebrities online is so callous and so dehumanized. And I understand that there's a lot of thing going a lot of things going on in the world right now where real people are getting murdered like I get it. But just because you know the argument of, oh, I can't worry about Kim Kardashian because black people are being killed by the police or whatever. These false equiv- equivalencies. You can think about more than one thing at one time. That's why God gave you a big, beautiful brain. It is possible. It's also just because of how people personally feel about Kim. Mm-hmm. You know, if Michelle Obama was bound and gagged and stolen from, none of these damn people would be like, oh, but there's other things going on in the world. You know, if their mm-hmm. own mama was bound and gagged and robbed, they'd be everywhere talking about it and they'd be real upset if you got in their face and were like um excuse me there are black people dying in the street so who cares about your mom call the insurance company a lot of the really gross things that people have been saying about kim i've been like who are you people are you human better not be a damn speed dial listener that had something sideways (laughs) to say about kim because if you did call the hotline because we will talk Listen, pull up. By the way, did I tell you that I recently stopped by the set of MTV's new music show, Wonderland and hung out with Jojo. You told me right before you did the interview and I was so mad. But when I saw the photo of you two looking adorable, everything was okay. I appreciate that. We had a really good talk about her new album, about her past in the music industry. And I even got her to talk about Rita Ora. Ira, you can't make every single guest talk about Rita Ora, but I am very... I'm looking forward to what JoJo had to say about her. <laughs> Watch me. I'm here in downtown Los Angeles with JoJo. Ira. Backstage <laughs> at Wonderland, MTV's new live music show. And JoJo, you have an album coming out, Mad Love. Yes. October 14th. Um, I'm super excited for it. Oh my God, thank you. Me too. Listen, this has been like... Winona Ryder freedom like Amistad freedom I've been like when is Jojo gonna be able to put out a new album so I'm here for it thank you how's it feeling it feels 
very surreal. 10 years since my last album and to be 25 and say that is just weird, you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. My journey is unique and I'm just living in the moment, taking it in stride and the fact that people are going to hear this music and that, you know, it, it has the support of a, my new label home, it's just, it's, it means everything to me. Yeah, Atlantic Records is your new home. Yeah. Um, they have just been kind of just like rescuing people from, it seems like, you know, bad label situations. I know like Rita Ora right. just went over there. So yeah, I'm like. Yeah, she, she actually, we performed together for in, at Gay Pride with Charlie XCX, and she, okay. um, this is before she had signed her deal to Atlantic, but uh -huh. she was telling me that, you know, seeing that I was able to to get the freedom that I looked for, you mm -hmm. know, and to be able to start again and continue on with my career that kind of gave her the the knowing that she could, you know. I'm loving that you were like Rita Ora's mentor. That, well, that's not true, but <laughs> <laughs> call it what you want, Ira. <laughs> um, what would you sort of say, you know, to other people with, um, you had sort of this big childhood fame now, and now you are here 10 years later, you know, you're trying to reach out to new fans as well, but you also have the other fans who are who've been there with you. Yeah, you know, since the jump, so incredible and supportive, and they they really kept me alive, honestly, because I was just not sure of anything. So they social media really and like interacting yeah. with them was gave me life. And but of course, it is about reaching out to new people and and not forgetting that foundation, though. Mm -hmm. And you sort of always existed in the intersection between like pop and R&B. Is there a genre you prefer more? I think that our generation doesn't really care about genres as much as the previous ones did. I think that you see artists melding genres a lot more often and in, in, in crossing them and, and jumping and just being more free. Mm -hmm. I think it's indicative of like just the, the times and we're just all kind of it's it's free. And um, so I like the word pop music because it means popular. Mm -hmm. And I like R&B because there's more of a soul connotation. So that's my response. To yeah. It. And you had some like really great soul covers like on your mixtapes. Like my favorite was the, you know, Caught Up in the Rapture. Oh, thank you. Did you ever hear anything from Anita Baker? I don't I know I, I didn't hear anything from Anita Baker okay. and I was so nervous to do that song because I just she's like a supreme diva and I just it's I was scared to take that song on but my manager was like you know do it it'll be like paying homage to her and I was like oh god I hope I do it justice um, but I had fun with it I, you know that's the music that I grew up listening to well it was fire thank so you. thank you I liked it Thanks. I'm pretty sure she liked it I hope so um and sort of what's next for you after this album? I mean, you're finally putting out this big project you've been working for. I know you have a tour coming up. Are you thinking ahead to the next album already? Are you thinking about acting again? So I just got off tour. I did about 30 dates in, in North America. That I was, saw oh, where were the you? Fifth Harmony show. Yes. Yeah, the one in Irvine. Oh, yeah. that was. I liked that venue. That was That was fun. It was huge. And I was not expecting so many young Fifth Harmony fans who knew like every single lyric to every one of your songs. I didn't expect it either. 
honestly the tour exceeded my expectations like I thought that I was going to be like okay just keep keep your head down <laughs> you know blinders on stay focused and get out there and you know um, introduce yourself I thought that it was going to be an introduction the reception that I got like was really made me feel amazing so that, that was awesome so the the, the plan for this album is to tour just to really get out there pound the pavement and so um, we're going to announce a tour soon that's going to be early 2017 that the dates start and then yeah quite honestly like I've lived with this album for so long <laughs> so to be able to get it out and take it away from like me just obsessing over it and, and you know now it'll be for other people to have their own experience with it I'm looking forward to that so then I can start thinking about the next and getting in I'm ready to, to start writing and ready to start singing some new stuff honestly Awesome. What's the difference in making music now versus when you were making music for your first album? So I recorded my first album when I was 12. And there were a handful of songs that I co-wrote and that I was like, it was kind of freestyle. Like I would go back and forth with a co-writer and we would just like sing and, and see what came out. And then some, we would like write it down. And I think I've become a lot more confident as a collaborator. I really have found my voice, particularly with this album. And that was really important for me at 25 to be making a quote unquote comeback. And like, I just couldn't accept songs that other people had written because I might be able to uh, appreciate them and relate, but it's just important that my DNA is, is in this. I think authenticity is one of the most important things in, in my life. And so finding my, my voice through my pen has been really, really good. And I think I'm, completely unafraid to, to say how I feel and through working with other people who have shown me how to be that open I've come to that place plus you know like you've been gone for like a minute and this is your big album you know you want people to hear from you I want people to hear from me and I want this to just lay the foundation for the rest of my career mm -hmm. you know to me this is I have that hunger of a new artist with the perspective and the experience of someone who's done this for a long time but I, I just want to set the, the, the tone, which is that I'm an open book. And what are some of the like themes you're exploring, you know, now that you're 25 and it doesn't even really feel like a comeback? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just the next chapter, you know, because I never felt like I left. And it's funny when people be like, so what have you been doing all this time? I've been like, oh, just, you know, apple picking and like twiddling <laughs> my thumbs, like chilling in the pumpkin patch, like... You know, no, I've been in the studio. I've been, I've been writing. I've been living. I've, I've broken a couple hearts. I've gotten my heart broken. I've been stupid as hell. I've fallen on my face. I've drank too much. I've, you know, been a good friend. I've, I've been a bad friend. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I've, I've been strong. I've been weak. And, and all of that is fair game. So I think a, a theme that I'm exploring in this album is, um, is love. And that includes self-love and lack thereof and that journey and the the dysfunction and function of relationships uh whether they they're intimate and romantic um my sexuality and i'm definitely not like coy in my sexuality i'm pretty empowered and, and liberated and uh, i feel pretty grown about it so it's fun so on speed dial we have a section called feedback where we invite our listeners to call in and ask us for advice but since you're on this week we invited we sent the number out on twitter and <clears throat> a few of your fans called in okay, so cool. i picked like a couple really good questions and here we go hi 
Brenna, and I met JoJo at the meet and greet in Phoenix, which was, like, the best time of my life. But I doubt she remembered me from her millions of fans. But anyways, my question for her is, how do you cope with um, being away from home for so long? And because, like, I'm going to college in Hawaii, and I'm originally from Montana, and all my family's there, and... I just need tips on how you cope with dealing with missing family. Um, thanks, Jojo. I love you. Bye. That is so real. I don't know how people used to do it. Like, letter writing, I imagine, was really important. But now we have FaceTime. Today is my mom's birthday, and we FaceTime today, and it felt like we were together. Oh. You know, so I think that making sure that your smartphone is charged <laughs> and that you can... FaceTime or Skype or whatever it is with your family, that's going to really make you feel like you can see what's going on. You can be, you can see what they see kind of through their eyes and you can let them into your world. You can show them around your new place in Hawaii. And um, I like to take things from home that, that remind me of it, whether it's a candle, um, you know, having physical copies of photos, like in a little photo album is a nice idea too. Some Some pictures, just make sure that you take things that will give you that comfort whether you have a blanket uh, a stuffed animal even that you grew up with something like that but for me FaceTime is like the best thing plus girl Brenda your family is going to be the one who's jealous like, yeah because you're, you're in, in Hawaii, Hawaii. <laughs> going to school so you'll be there for a few years yeah laying on the beach want to take that vacation from Montana to Hawaii <laughs> for sure and we have one more Hi, Jojo. It's your girl, uh, Victoria. And my question is, how do you pour so much of yourself and raw emotion into a song knowing that the whole world would know about your business? Oh, my gosh. I could never. I have I have so much anxiety um, having people knowing my business. And thank you. Love you. Bye. Well, girl, I have anxiety people know on my business too but that's why you choose what you say and like you don't need to name names you can just kind of talk about how you feel no one can take away how you feel so for me talking about the way I feel my emotions that really doesn't give me anxiety to be honest about that it gives me anxiety to be fake to try to hide the way I feel but if I can just be like I'm struggling right now or I'm you know doing great like but and really mean it or I'm sad or I'm broken or I'm strong or whatever it is like I find that that's easier for me personally than to than to not share it because I feel like people can see through I feel like I'm not very good at lying so mm-hmm. that's just that's just me Victoria but yeah I actually think it's it's therapeutic I think you take the power away from other people when they can when when you say you know what you're going through before they get to weigh in on it yeah I mean you put it in your music And mine is all over my Twitter feed. Uh, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Speaking of like fake last moment, I fucking love your song with Remy. I wrote, thank you. Listen, when I was last in New York, I was in the barber shop and they were playing Remy Ma. They played like her Ooh remix. They also played this. They did? They played this. The My barber loves Remy. He loves I Remy. I love Remy too. And he was like, oh, to the I easy, fuck with this M song. to the Wizza. I yeah. love her. So That is awesome. Yeah, that's where I first heard it. Barbershop at the approval? Barbershop. Yeah, barbershop Whoa, approval. Okay, that means a lot. And speed dial approval. Yay. Mad Love comes out October 14th, so make sure you cop that. It's also available for pre-order on iTunes. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, babe. 
JoJo won't be on speed dial every week, unfortunately, but if you would like to get feedback from Doreen and I, you can call us at 424-354-9335. Once again, that number is 424-354-9335. Leave a message. I'm in an eBay bidding war for some FUBU, so I'm going to have to roll right now. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> but did you get my sweater? Don't forget to put my sweater on the queue. Um, yeah, I don't know if I got money for that. Bye. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.